as they are making their way out, uh, Carver, I'm going to ask you to, if you would, go ahead and pull up the original picture. Guys, I want you to take a look here. I realize a lot of you have not been able to go out and access the future field of dreams. You heard reference earlier in the uh, announcements, and I'm excited about what you're going to hear in the business meeting to follow. And so I just kind of wanted to bring this to your attention. This is what it looks like now. This is currently speaking. And we've made a lot of progress. You guys can remember at one time when there were trees out there, right? And, and at one time, I think there was a field. Jimmy Carr used to plow that every now and then, right? I mean, there, there, it, it's, it's come a long ways, but it's not where it's headed to. Uh, I'm excited about what God is doing, and I want to share with you some of that vision. I recognize a lot of times it's hard to understand where we're going. Um, Dr. Carver and I worked on something, maybe give you a little better idea of the potential of what is out there. If you could pull up that next slide. Guys, this is the plan. And if you'll notice here, uh, there are several things, and I just wanted to take a minute and talk to you about this. Uh, here's the entryway. Right here, you're looking at the gymnasiums back behind this. Okay, here's the playground over here. This is the entryway in which you come across. Uh, the goal is to eventually put a pavilion in this area. You go this direction, this is where our trail, walking trail begins, and there's a half mile walking trail, which there's some great work being done right now on the prayer garden that will connect uh, to the walking trail, and that's already been cut. There's a lot of good things going on out there. It's pretty exciting to see how God's been providing uh, even beyond and outside this challenge um, in what's happening, what's taking place. Uh, but eventually, again, the idea is a place for kids to come, families on weekends, uh, for soccer, for flag football, for various ministries. Um, but here's the main point. We talked about this in our Vision 2020 sermon. Two train tracks, right? Two rails. That's the only way the train runs is on two rails. Discipleship. Making converts and discipleship. Making converts and discipleship. This is for the platform for the gospel. And so uh, keep praying. Again, looking forward to sharing some information, but wanted to kind of give you an idea of the vision of, of what this... Uh, 15,000 challenge and, and the matching, uh, which will give us uh, around 30,000 uh, to look to get this thing moving. And uh, again, we'll talk more about that in the business meeting. But just sort of wanted to share that because I recognize for a lot of you non-members, visitors, others as well, uh, you're seeing this promoted in our community. And I uh, want to give you an idea of what we're talking about. And so this is, this is it. And so keep praying. Uh, again, excited about what God's doing and that we actually are uh, able to even be a part of that. So we'll share more coming up a little later. Take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to continue our study. We're in part four, final section on um, church leadership, and we're talking about elders, specifically is the terminology we're using, uh, but that term, as you learned last week, also references pastors, bishops, elders. It's the same term. It's, if you hear somebody say bishop, now again, you want to ask because a lot of times people have poured non-biblical meaning into it. And that's why we're, we're at today. But the words, and, we, and we'll look at this again here shortly, just by way of recap, but uh, it's describing the same office. A pastor is an elder who is a bishop, biblically speaking. 
And so um, it's important that we understand the biblical backing of these offices. What does it mean? Uh, last week, we talked about uh, the head. And we want to be real clear right out of the gate, guys. The head of the church is Jesus Christ, period. Plain and simple. It's not the unregenerate sinner who, who dictates to the church what we should be doing. Uh, we're not here to try and develop something that's within this local assembly that's just going to be all about the sinner. Now, we want to reach the sinner, and we hope the sinner comes, but we've already been given instructions by the head of the church. He's told us how to do church. He's established the order. You don't have to like or even agree but it still doesn't change the facts. God has established the local church. He loved the church and He gave His life for her. She is blood-bought. We're not, we're not our own, guys. We have been purchased. Right? So we belong to Him. As born-again believers, your life is not your own to do with what you want to do. You've been bought. Now, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. As followers of Christ, our desire is to follow Him in obedience. That's our desire. And I don't know about you, but I've found in my experience, in my walk, sometimes God calls me to, to follow Him into areas that's not very popular. There are times that God asks me to do things that puts me at odds against people. But I have to obey what God calls me to do and tells me to do. And you're no different. And we face a society that's growing darker and darker that's going to put you as followers of Christ, if you're obedient to the head, is going to put us at odds with others. Larry in a Sunday school class this morning uh, was talking about the worldview of the world and the biblical worldview of the believer. And we were looking at subject matter that the world says, hey, this is the way you should think about this subject. And Here's what the Bible says in how as believers we should think about the subject. And as a pastor, I see it all too often when I counsel with couples or counsel with individuals how they can be really good Christians, they can be really strong, but in a certain area it's like they don't have a biblical worldview. They have the worldview of society or they have the worldview of what it means to, to do this in their field of expertise. And it's like, but that's... Not what God's Word says we're to do. We specifically looked at subjects in a Sunday school on abortion. You know? A woman says, hey, it's my body. I'll do with it what I want. Last time I checked, ladies, you don't have 20 toes and 20 fingers. You have 10 toes, 10 fingers. Those other 10 toes and 10 fingers belong to someone else. But again... The world, I understand why the world thinks the way they think. They've been indoctrinated. They've been taught. I had a, um, a, a seminary uh, professor, pastor, and he used to say this phrase all the time. He says, when I meet an atheist, I love to ask them, who was your teacher? Because when you're born into this world, you do not come into this world looking at creation and think... Nothing created all this. No, you're taught to be an atheist. No, they love to spin that and say, you're taught to believe what you believe. But guys, we have the law of God written on our heart. 
We have the conscience that bears witness. We have creation that testifies. Let no one tell you anything different. We know there's a God. But we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. As believers, we want to listen to the head. We want to know what the head has to say about subject. And when it comes to the church, when it comes to church leadership, he has the playbook. He's laid it out. He does all things decently and in order. Now, the problem with you and I, and especially those of us who've grown up in church, and I didn't grow up in the church, by the way. I was 25 years of age before I came to know Christ, so it wasn't until I was 25 that I really began to dive into this to understand what does this really teach. And I'm thankful I didn't have a lot of those preconceived traditional ideas. A lot of you have not been afforded that opportunity. A lot of you have grown up in churches, and what you know about church leadership is simply what you were taught, what you experienced. Now, I'm not saying it was necessarily wrong, but I'm asking us to always bring it back to the head and let's discern, is it though biblical? Is it best? Is it what God has laid out? And a lot of times we must, if we're going to be honest before a holy God, we must bring those things into submission to thus saith the Lord. And we realize in those moments that sometimes our tradition is what we're holding on to instead of the truth. And guys, that's tough, isn't it? Sometimes when we've been taught something all of our life from godly people who mean well, but maybe, just maybe, it's not in line biblically to what's best. Now, with that said, we want to we show liberty, we want to show grace, and here's what I want to say about the subject of church leadership. Whether you're from... Um, a, a various a differing background denominationally, and they do church governance a certain way. Um, my, my fight's not necessarily in that, guys. I don't want to be so dogmatic in that that we, we kind of miss the trees because of the forest kind of thing. Maybe I got that backwards. I'm always confused on that one. But anyway, um, and, and so what, what, what I want you to understand in this is what's most important is godly governance. Godly governance. So we're going to talk about, hopefully in a little while, whether you look at a singular pastor or a plurality of elders or whatever type church governance your friends may go to, a background you may be out of. Again, I think the most important thing is the biblical guidelines that govern church leadership and the character and quality of those who fill those roles. That's what's vital because I'm, I, I'm a firm believer coming out of a Bible, Bible church. Before I came here, I was in a Bible church which had a plurality of elders, right? Um, but also going to a Baptist school, coming out and saved in a Baptist church, being exposed to a lot of different denominations as a young Christian, going to any kind of church had the doors open because I didn't know anything about anything and I just wanted to absorb all that God had. And if, it's, if I thought God was in it, I was going to it. And so... Understanding some of these things and processing some of these things, the most important thing is we understand Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And if the church governance is set up in such a way that it desires to follow faithfully after Him, it may look a little different. It may look a little different. And at the end of the day... The most important aspect of that is, are those leaders following after the head? Is that where they are looking to, to grow their leadership, to adjust their leadership, 
Because in so doing, I believe we will find ourselves moving a little more in line with the biblical instructions of church leadership. So, we talked about the head. And we talked about that. You see that in Scripture in, first, in Colossians 1, uh, 18. And He is the head of the body, the church, Jesus is, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. This is what I'm saying. Jesus Christ is to have preeminence in the local church. Community Baptists, that must be our sold-out surrendered prayer is that Jesus Christ will remain head of Community Baptist Church. Because I can promise you, this guy will come and go, these deacons will come and go, other pastors will come and go, but Christ and His church, that's ordained by Him. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we don't know when His return is. We think it's soon. I mean, you look around and... How much longer can we go? But I'm also reminded of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can always go back and revisit that. I, think, I would like to think there's more than a handful left in this world that still love the Lord and desire to know Him. And God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. His long-suffering, His kindness, is far beyond what you and I would put up with. Because I know some of you are thinking, man, I'd already wiped out some people because this junk's getting out of hand. But then when it comes to us, <laughs> I'm glad he didn't wipe us out, right? Isn't that funny how that works? Yeah. Christians are a good reminder, and this is something God's helping me internally with. All right? So you can pray for your pastor. Um, but I think we're all kind of guilty of this. When it comes to the grace, uh, isn't it funny how we tend to be a little harder on others than ourselves? I think that probably ought to be reversed a little. So, um, that's just real. Alright, so, Jeremiah 3.15 says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. Um, do me a favor. For some reason, this is the old sermon. Uh, the, the other one should have updated. And so we're not going to get to that if um, it didn't pop up. So, it was sent from, from back there. I don't know if you want to kind of click on that or work on that, that would be awesome. I'm just going to get to this one and pause for the calls. Um, when it comes to the desire, uh, if you would, um, that speaks to the help. All right? We talked about the head. Jesus is the head of the church. But then we talked about the help last week. And so the help is the pastor. You read in that passage in the Old Testament, he pointed to he was going to give shepherds. He's going to give people who will help lead his people, who will help feed his sheep. And so that's what he's done to the local church. We see this in the New Testament. It's reiterated in Ephesians that he gives some pastors, some teachers, right, to the church. That's the gift to the church. God has established his desire, his plan for the local church. That includes that churches should have a pastor. All right? Now, let me give you some thoughts on what's going on in the role of pastor. What's happening oftentimes to pastors today. Consider the following sobering survey. Results of the personal and professional lives of the clergy. 
90% of pastors work more than 46 hours a week. 80% believe that pastoral ministry affected their families negatively. 33% said that being in ministry was an outright hazard to their family. 75% reported a significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 50% felt unable to meet the needs of the job. 90% felt they were inadequately trained to cope with ministry demands. Me and my pastor friends have been joking, where was the uh, COVID-19 class in, <laughs> in uh, seminary? 70% say they have a lower self-esteem now than when they started out. 40% reported a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 37% confessed having been involved in inappropriate sexual behavior with someone in the church. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. This was from 1991. And I promise you, those stats are far worse today with technology's advancements and the demands that now come at pastors than it ever was in 1991. the help that God has established, He intended for it to not be done alone. We're a body. We're a family. And just like a father who leads the house cannot lead the household alone, God has given him a family with differing responsibilities, with differing roles. And everyone playing and serving in their respected roles is where the healthiest of families are found. And that's important, church. God hasn't changed up the plan for the church. It's the same plan that's in play for the family, which is the same plan that's in play for the government. When everything is rightly under the head, the help has the help and serves the head how he designed and desires to be served. Notice if you would, and uh, I'm going to probably try and skip through until they get this set. Uh, we did talk about this last week. These are the differing terms. You see episkopos, which is overseer or bishop. When you see that in your Bible, that's what that word means, overseer or bishop. Uh, episkopos, which is, by the way, the denomination Episcopalian. Okay? The reason we don't use the term bishop is because it has a whole different meaning today. Uh, a bishop in, oversees a bunch of different churches. We believe the Bible teaches the local autonomy. Now there is again um, uh, the idea, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, our Southern Baptist brethren and, and others, there is some argument that can be made from the Jerusalem Council and some of the apostles going. And, and, and again, we'll save that for an Acts study. But the word episkopos is overseer or bishop. By the way, it gives definition in that term, overseer. 
Responsibility rests in oversight of all that happens within the local church, rests with the pastors because they are an under-shepherd. Presbyteros, elder, we talked about that. Um, again, this is a term often used uh, in, in Scripture. It can reference an aged person, someone who's elder in nature, but again, we talked about statistically the, the different usage of it, and in context you'll determine and know, is it referencing a pastor, a bishop, an elder? So that word poimen is the word pastor, it's the word shepherd. It's used of Christ, the chief shepherd. Again, he's the head. I understand my role simply as an entrusted under-shepherd, under his authority, under his headship, as is the case with any pastor. Now let me take a second here and say this. Um, Lord willing, we'll be talking about um, uh, the idea of bringing in another pastor. And I too believe this is biblical. When you look in Scripture, you will see oftentimes a referencing of a plurality of pastor to the pastors at Ephesus. Uh, Paul sending Timothy, going and appointing elders, plurality, in local churches. Guys, I believe the church is at its healthiest when it has a plurality of pastors. Now, we're, we're fortunate and blessed here in the recent years, um, we've had a plurality of pastors. We have Pastor Dean still serving as senior saints pastor. He is still pastoring here. He has been a called pastor. He, as a called pastor, he will always be a pastor. We also have had Nate Deck, right, as a pastor. We had at one time, Dr. Shook was here. He is a pastor. He's pastoring now, which, by the way, tell you, friends, um, he's going to be our guest speaker for homecoming. Dr. Shook will be back with us, so please start spreading the word for homecoming. And, side note, this is the first year we're having to change the homecoming date because Halloween falls on the 31st, the very next day. You've got to set your clock back, and that would have been homecoming. It would have been a disaster because we've also got the big downtown shindig on Halloween night. So, homecoming this year is going to be November 8th. Mark it down. November 8th. All right? Dr. Shook's our speaker. But we've had a plurality of pastors here, guys. Some paid, some not paid, right? But the point being, this is the reason why I believe it's the most biblical model. Because first off, I'm going to draw from biblical. I've given you some biblical authority, which is the foundational argument. But I can also give you some experiential argument and traditional argument. The traditional argument is, when you look at church history, there often it was multiple pastors. And then experientially speaking, I'm going to say it because I know myself. I know my weakness. I know what Scripture says about man's heart. Why would I want to be at the point all by myself without accountability? That's a recipe for disaster. Now, I realize for some of you this is going to be a shock. Your pastor does not operate in a vacuum all his own. I know for some of you, you think pastor sits high and mighty up on his throne and dictates to everybody what must be done in this church. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. The Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Everything that comes through, at this point, currently established, it goes through our deacons. We talk about things, we share things, we discuss things. Because I rely on their wisdom. I appreciate their input. 
But here's, guys, where we're not functioning as biblically as we should. There are things that the deacons wrestle through that they have no business wrestling through. Spiritual, heavy, weighty matters. Let me give it to you this way. Let's say you and your family are having some serious crisis. Let's say there's some serious spiritual issues that you don't want anyone knowing. You need the confidence to come to your pastor or pastors and pour out your heart, right? You need to be able to share these burdens. You need to lay it all on the line. You need to seek God's help. And you know that God's given pastors for the spiritual guidance of your heart to shepherd your heart. And you want to share that with them. Well, currently speaking, then the hands of those pastors very well could be tied if that information must be disseminated to deacons who biblically aren't called to deal with those weighty matters. And I believe, and I've not made this any secret, I believe that this has been part of the struggles in years gone by here at the church. And I know, I know for a fact, because I've had deacons sit in my office and say, Pastor, I never knew I was going to have to deal with some of this. I don't like this. I don't want to weigh in on this decision. I don't, I don't want to know that about these people. And I say... I understand. And so there are things that traditionally, guys, we've got to look at in light of truth and make some decisions. That's reality. And so with a plurality of pastors, and in the past recent years, when, when you know, we had Dr. Shook, Pastor Dean, and Nate, there were many times that on these spiritual matters, I would bring these men in and say, hey guys, here's what I'm dealing with. First off, we need to be praying for these families. First off, we need to be, you know, we need to be asking God for wisdom in this. I want to know what you men have to think. What would you do? What, what's your thoughts? And we'll sometimes throw around ideas and, and we'll share burdens. Do you realize how beneficial that is for you as a church? to have men called of God to deal with these matters, to actually deal with these matters. It frees up both offices that God established to do what God designed to do. Right? And so that's why I believe in a plurality of elders. Now, again, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are times it's just not that way. And I think and you can also find in church history, you can also find arguments made about these scriptures that, hey, well, they were saying plurality because the letters were being circulated. So you might have one pastor here in this part of Ephesus. You might have one pastor in this part of Ephesus. And so they're passing the letters, so that's why I used a plurality. And that's fine. Again, at the end of the day, I'm trying to take the whole counsel of God to make these best informed decisions. And so, in making those best-formed decisions, in weighing through all of tradition, experience, the truth of God's Word, your pastor believes the best option for Community Baptist Church to be biblically as close to what we should be should be a plurality of elders. There's accountability in that. There's the ability to do the things that God has called us to do that is not a responsibility and role that rests with others, which frees them to do what they're called to do without the burden of other responsibility. And so, when you see a poiman, you see a shepherd, uh, you see that being the case, um, that's uh, part of that responsibility. Uh, you also, again, we talked about corrupts, uh, which is a preacher. 
uh, and then also um, the uh, term for teacher, didaskalos. So, thank you, AVT department. You guys are awesome. All right, so that's what we talked about. We talked about the help, um, and then that takes us to the next thing, which is um, we had the head, we had the help, we have the heart. Notice, if you would, here in point three, and uh, we'll look at the scripture. Thank you, guys. This is a faithful saying, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, if a man desires the office, the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Um, the first point that we see here in this text is the heart of a pastor is one of love. That's what we find. Notice uh, what's happening here in the heart. Verse 1 says that this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Two Greek words are used here for desire. You see the first desire? You might want to circle that. See the second desire? You might want to circle that one. Two different words are used. And this is interesting because that first word that's used, it means to reach out after. To reach out after it. It describes an external action, not an internal motive. MacArthur's note says this, he says, uh, the second definition is a strong passion. And this refers to an inward desire. So together, it means a person who belongs in the ministry, one and one, the one word, he has an outwardly uh, pursuit, and, and it, it's, a, a, it's driven by an internal pursuit. Simply put, a man who is, des desires that office, who's called to that office, is going to have both an internal and an external call. He is, this is his life. This is who he is. This is his calling. He should love his calling. Now there are days you may not like your calling. I mean, it's just, right? But at the end of the day, you love your calling. As your pastor... I know um, my struggles. I know my battles. I know oftentimes, but yet my heart resounds with the Apostle Paul when he said this. 
For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I can't do anything else. You've heard the saying, if you, if you want to know if you're called to the pastorate, do anything and everything else, and if you can't do anything or everything else, maybe you're called. In other words, it's in you. It's your desire. It's your passion. You want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to shepherd and love people. You want to pour into them. You want to see them grow in Christ. You want to see them come to know Christ. And guys, this is what I eat, sleep, and drink. I don't clock in and clock out. I can't. It's just not in my DNA. And believe me, there are many times I have to battle against covetousness. <laughs> All right? One of, the, one of the warnings not to be covetous, because sometimes I have to bring those thoughts captive because I look at some of you and I say, man, how nice it would be to have weekends off. To actually know that at the end of the day when I clock out, I can go home and actually give undivided focus to my family. I can leave it at work and go back to it on Monday. And so, honestly, there are times that I have to say, huh? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Right? Because I recognize what a privilege, what an honor that God has called me out of darkness into light and entrusted me with this ministry. Man. But I also recognize the weightiness of that. And so, the love of the calling it's important that we understand in the apostle uh, Paul is laying it out here that if you desire it, you desire a good work. The sign of the heavenly calling is intense. It's all-absorbing desire for the work because of the yearning passion and compelling desire to serve God's people. Guys, I don't know how to explain it other than this. I know... God called me into the ministry. I know I, and again, I don't, I, 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 it's like I said a while ago. When tradition and experience line up with truth, you got a good thing, right? Some of you have heard my story. And it's, it's just, it is what it is. Do with it what you want. That's what I'm going to say. But I'll never forget that when God got a hold of my life and radically changed me in my mid-20s, He had given me a brand new job. I was doing great. I was working with a, a new startup company in Greensboro. It was growing. It was expanding uh, into Winston-Salem High Point. Uh, I was uh, put on as a sales rep, and, and I was uh, leading sales within my first month. And, I mean, God was just blessing. I'm a new Christian. I found this new life. I'm going to church Every time the doors are open, he put me in a job where there were nine other employees who were born-again Christians, and, I mean, lunch was church. We would uh, praise God together. We would go to, I went to Bible studies. Uh, I'll never forget, man, you, you, you talk about offerings. You, you, I don't know if any of you have ever been to a black church, but, man, I, went to a, a, I would go on Thursdays to this free evangelical church, and during the offering, they hold these big buckets up front, and you get out of your seat, and they play music, and you come down, and you put your money in the bucket. And if they didn't like what went in the bucket, they shook it. Now, I ain't saying that's the way to do it, but I'm just saying that's what I experienced, right? 
And, uh, and I just, but I, anytime the doors were open, I was going. And, and God had put me in this place with other believers. And it was just, man, it was awesome. I was starting to grow. I was listening. I had a sales territory. And so I was in my car majority of the day going from place to place. Began to, I got, you know, discovered J. Vernon McGee, you know, and started listening to him. I, 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 the Bible Broadcast Network had all this teaching. And I started listening to teaching. And I was like, man, why didn't I know this stuff? Where was this, you know, all my first 25 years? Why didn't I understand this stuff? Nobody ever told me these things. I wouldn't have been a heathen for so long, you know. Which again, you understand. Well, you only understand when the light's on. The light's on. The light wasn't on for 25 years, right? Some of you saying, "Well, I'm wondering if the light's even on now." But you know, <laughs> keep that to yourself. Um, but so I began to grow. I began to understand these things, and then this internal dilemma began to happen. Every time I was on the radio, I'd hear these advertisements for seminaries and Bible colleges. Well, that's normal. That's where you would advertise them. But man, my heart would just start panicking. This, this, I can't explain it other than I need to try and check into this. Maybe, I ought to, maybe that would be good, you know, these little thoughts coming. Then I had this person at the church I was attending that was constantly, every week, hounding me. She'd come running up to me. Hey, Jeremy, have you, uh, listen, I'm going to this college and I think it'd be great for you. And uh, I'll bring you a catalog. You can look at it and you can fill it out. And uh, I think it'd be a good place for you to go to help you grow in discipleship. And I'm like, okay, sure, I'll take a catalog. She brought me a catalog. I didn't think much of it. Sitting in service one day, a missionary speaking at the church could not tell you anything the missionary had to say other than this statement. I don't know, maybe God's calling one of you to the ministry. I mean, it was as if, and I got all nervous. I thought the whole church was looking at me. I felt weird. Again, I'm just telling my story. After that message, as if I couldn't get it, because God knows I'm a hard-headed person, as some of you know, God comes up uh, through this woman and says to me, uh, for what it's worth, when, the, when that pastor made the comment, that missionary made the comment about one of y'all being called to the ministry, I thought of you. Have you ever thought about maybe... I'm like... <laughs> yeah, not what I wanted to hear. And honestly, I'm saying to God when I get in my car and I'm by myself, I'm going, God, I know this is not you because of who I am, what I've been, what I've done. You know the sins of my past. I'm not this kind of person. These people are holy. These people are good. They don't want nothing to do with me, man, because I know who I am. I know who I used to be. This is not... Isn't these the lies Satan tells you, you know? Because you're right, though. In a sense, there's a truth. There's a half-truth. We're not good enough. None of us are deserving. None of us are worthy. All of our good deeds are filthy rags. But that's the beauty of God's grace. You see, God redeems lives. He changes lives. He gives new desires. He gives new pursuits. Because it's His grace that's sufficient. Not my ability. Not my ability to lead, to shepherd, to oversee. That's God's grace. If there's anything that comes forth that's good, to God be the glory. You know how He gets the most glory? When He uses boneheads like me and boneheads like you. You see, I'm an equal opportunity includer. Guys, it's, it's God's glory on display. And so, in those moments, I began to hear these. And I wanted to resist this call. I wanted to fight that because... No. 
Not me. I cannot do that. Well, God didn't let up. And over the next several months, under heavy conviction, constantly bombarded by this call, I'll never forget. It was a Friday evening, and I remember praying that night. Okay, God, if this is you that I feel like is hammering me, I will quit my job. Now, at this point, I had just gotten a company car. I was promoted. I was top sales. I was growing my territory. Man, on the worldly perspective, guys, I was in a good way. But I could not ignore what God was doing in my life. And so I said, okay, God, and I don't recommend you pray this, but this is where I was, and so I'm just telling you my story. I didn't have the knowledge of Scripture. Okay, I'm four months old in the Lord at this point. I didn't know these things. So I didn't know any better. But I began to pray. God, if that's you and you want me to go into the full-time ministry, if you want me to go to this Bible college, then, all right, how about this, God? I went to high school eight-plus years ago, and I remember a young guy when I was a senior in high school, he was a freshman. He played on the basketball team. I remember this kid because he was a good ball player. He was a young freshman, and he, he was good. And, 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 but I also remember he caught a lot of flack in the public school because he kept telling everybody he was going to grow up and be a preacher. So I said, you put Ben Duran in my path. You put him right in front of me. I'll quit everything. I'll give it up, and I'll go. <laughs> you be careful what you pray. Two days later, after church, I go into Pizza Inn, and we walk in, we're waiting in line to get our seats, and I look over at the buffet, and right in front of me is Ben Duran. Man, my heart sank, guys. I'm not, you talk about the fear of God. The fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. Man, my, my, my heart was so fearfully, whoa. I don't remember much about that day other than I could not get out of that restaurant fast enough to get home, and I filled out all my applications. On that, in that little work booklet. I had never been to the campus of Piedmont Bible College at the time. But the next day I went into work. I, I knew my territory was going to be in High Point. I knew High Point was next to Winston-Salem. I thought, okay, I'm going to swing over during my day and I'm going to go to the school. Because God's made it abundantly clear. And I took that in hand, and I remember I walked it to that campus. Never been on the campus before. I walked to the front door. The door opens. There's a young man standing there. I said, hey... Uh, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I just know God wants me here. And he kind of chuckled, and he, said, he asked me a question. like, are you enrolled? I said, no, sir. I said, I have my transcripts. I have everything right here. I just don't know what to do, where to go. He said, well, come on. I'll show you. Come with me. I didn't know it at the time, but that was Howard Wilburn. He was our speaker last year, uh, President Wilburn. He was the president of the school. That was his son, John Wilburn. Lord willing, I'm going to touch base with John this week, he was slated a while back to come in for, for, to present missions. He's serving the Lord in the... Yeah, St. Vincent. Thank you. That's a lot easier to say than the other word. Um, he's in St. Vincent serving as a missionary. And uh, he's coming in, and Lord willing, he's going to be here to speak in October. But John was the one I first met, literally right there on campus. And it was the, as the president of the school's son. He knew where to take me, what to do, and then they told me, hey, class is starting tomorrow. you got orientation going on right now going over there. Okay. And, of course, the rest is history. God's call on my life was abundantly clear.
pastor must love his calling. I love my calling. I love what I do. I love you. I know sometimes love can seem strange. Um, you know, we've all been young before and not understanding sometimes the love of our parents. I think that's, I know some people don't like being referenced that way, but guys, again, this is scriptural language. Paul referenced Timothy as a child in the faith because he carried the responsibility of shepherding his heart. And so I carry a responsibility of shepherding your heart. So I don't apologize for seeing you as my own family, as if I were pouring into my own kids. That's not calling you immature. It's not calling you children. Now, don't get me wrong. When you get a church of 100, you're going to have a little bit of that too, right? But the point of it is the shepherding of the heart. And that is a call. And that is part of the responsibility. Also, there's life. Um, notice verses 2 and 3 here. You'll notice the, uh, in this passage. A bishop then must be blameless. Now, that word blameless means that mud don't stick. You, you, we've talked about this. When you lead anything, it doesn't matter what you lead. Uh, Josh is doing a, a Sunday school class on leadership, and I'm sure they're covering this at any point. You're in the lead in any fashion. You're going to get accusations hurled. You're going to get people who are disgruntled. You're going to get people who do not like the way you do things. They're going to disagree with your management. They're going to say, I want to do it this way. I think you ought to do it that way. Everybody's got opinions. And you know what? Sometimes there's truth in those opinions. And good leadership often receives those things, weighs those things, and puts into play the best things. But this word blameless means when there's an accusation, it doesn't stick. And those accusations should only be issues of sin, not preference. We must be very careful. Scripture warns very strongly against accusations against pastors. Tread lightly. Even David in the Old Testament would not even come against Saul because he was God's anointed. This is one of those areas, guys, that God's more than able to handle the situation. But He gives the church responsibility in holding accountable those who are not blameless. And we've had a lot of pastors who've fallen into sin, clearly into sin. And I've seen the church handle a lot of them situations, not biblically. And those men keep right on serving through their sin. And that's a great reproach against a church. And so be careful uh, that we handle this biblically. But the blameless means it doesn't stick. Mud don't stick. He should have a life that's set apart unto the Lord. That's what all these descriptive things are saying. He should be blameless. He should be the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome. By the way, that word quarrelsome, let me give you a little better understanding on that. Um, pastors are not to be quarrelsome. We must not misunderstand the injunction against being quarrelsome. Clearly, by both precept and example, Paul did not envision the ideal pastor as a nice, soft, somewhat passive, universally liked, 
vaguely spiritual chaplain. Okay, did you get that? Um, After all, in the very sentence in which he enjoins Timothy not to be quarrelsome, he also emphasizes that there is evil in the world and that the pastor must correct his opponents. Not all controversy is bad. The pastoral epistles are full of warnings against false teachers. 1 Timothy 6, 3, 2 Timothy 2, 17, 18. At the heart of faithful shepherding is the ministry of exhortation and rebuke. Titus 1, 9, 2, 15. Doctrine is not the problem. Disagreement is not even the problem. There are hills to die on. There are fights to pick. Staying out of the fray is not always the better part of valor. Chuck Swindoll. These descriptive terms of the pastor's character, it speaks to his life. Is his life set apart for the sake of the gospel? Is his desire to live, to live out his faith? And I hope and pray that that is the example that you see in your pastor. Now, will I fall short? Will I fail you? Absolutely. There are times I will disappoint you. My prayer is though that when you see any good in me, you see Christ in me. And that this pastor's desire of his heart is to serve the head of this church willfully, unashamedly, in the direction that he calls and leads me. And so the life must be that. He's also called to lead. Notice verses 4 and 5. Notice what it says here in the text in verse 4 and 5. One who... um, Let's go... um, Not covered. Verse 4. One who rules his own house well. One who rules his own house well. Having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Who does it put the responsibility to in the home in this passage? To oversee and, and, and lead the home. Who, who? The husband, right? The head of the home, the man. In the church, it, it defines who's to lead in the church. It's the pastor. Now, I don't know how it is in your home, but there's many times that this guy leads and wants to go in this direction, and it may not be real popular with the, with the rest in the car. Oh, Dad, we wanted to go to McDonald's. I don't want to go to Wendy's. Who's paying for this? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know somebody in church will say, yeah, I'll use that one against you. (laughs) Some of y'all got that joke. But guys, again, you know, the worst arguments in the the family are usually those, aren't they? The ones over, (laughs) where do you want to go to eat? Don't ask that question, right? Gentlemen, let's save ourselves some time. Where are we going? All right, we're going here. But a pastor's called to lead. He should be able to lead well. You know, the best way for your pastor to lead well is your prayerful support. Your prayerful support. You don't like a direction we're going? Take it up with God. But here's the way we take it up with God. God, I don't understand everything that's going on. You do. So here's my prayer, Lord. If you're leading him to do this, give me a heart to be submissive to you and his leadership. If this is not your desire to lead him there, please turn his heart and help him to be a strong leader for your namesake. 
Guys, if we all just got on that page, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Because I promise you, God can turn the hearts of a king like a river. He should lead. He should be able to lead well. It doesn't mean he's perfect, but he knows how to handle things biblically in counsel and when issues arise. And again, I, I, everything I desire to do in my leadership is to, try, is to, to, to draw from, to exegete, to see the world from the Scriptures, not from the other areas. Again, some of those things may come into play, but my desire is to what does God say in this area? What is God's mind in this? What is His thought? What is His direction? That's where your pastor is coming from. That's where I desire to come from. And I don't always get that right, guys. So, we also see in verses 6 and 7 that a pastor should be learned. He should be learned. Um, notice... Uh, what it says here in um, verse 6. Not a novice. Lest being puffed up with pride, he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. There's a reason why you don't put a brand new believer into the pastorate. Okay? Um, I'm thankful that God called me to seminary first and gave me some, you know, training in that setting, in a safe setting, to learn and wrestle through Scripture and to have conversations with other future pastors and missionaries. Um, helping to prepare me. I'm also grateful for the almost 10 years he gave me as an associate pastor, youth pastor. Okay? And, and I, I made my share of mistakes. I'm thankful I had a senior pastor that I could look to for counsel who loved me enough to give me some guidance and counsel when I was uncertain or not sure about something or needed some direction. By the way, that pastor, Lord willing, pray for them. Him and his wife are coming in from Arkansas. Uh, they'll be coming in in uh, two weeks, and he'll be doing a combined Sunday school. So if you've not come to Sunday school, I beg you, come to that Sunday school. We'll, we'll get the word out, but that'll be uh, um, an opportunity where you can meet my pastor, uh, and he's going to be sharing uh, some things here. He's got a book coming out as well, and so, um, but I'm thankful to have that opportunity to spend with him again. And so he's been retired uh, out of the ministry for a while now. Um, never retired, but you know what I'm saying. And so uh, I look forward to you meeting him. But you can't be a novice. Um, not to be a, a new believer, a young believer. Should have been a believer and show maturity in the Word of God. Because you've got to be able to rightly ha handle the truth of God's Word. That's part of it. So... Again, you, you, these are the positive qualifications. You find this in Titus also. Blameless of approach, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, given to hospitality, able to teach. By the way, that able to teach is what separates you. You look at the list of the deacons, you look at the pastors. The pastor is given to teach. That doesn't mean a deacon can't teach. It just means that that's not one of the requirements. It's not one of the qualifications. But a pastor must be able to teach. This was one of the reasons that led to us leaving the last church. It was a Bible church. Its church governance was set up as a plurality of elders. They chose their elders from amongst themselves. Now here's the problem I have with that, biblically speaking. Uh, I, a pastor is an elder. 
An elder is a pastor. I should have been able to go to some of those fellow elders and say, hey, we're going to do a sister plant on the other side of Rowan County. We want you to go and start it up as the elder, as the pastor. Well, I'm not called to that. But wait a minute, this is an interchangeable word, is it not? Bishop, pastor, elder. And so what ended up happening was we had one man who, who during the uh, situation said, hey, I'll be an elder, I don't mind being an elder, but don't ask me to teach. I wanted to stand up and say, did, did y'all hear that? Was I the only, I mean, I don't teach, that's one of the qualifications. No, I didn't stand up and blur it out loud. I went to my brother side by side and I said, hey, I heard you know, what you said and you do realize that's one of the qualifications, right? Well, I just I don't teach. I don't, you know, I'll take care of the grass. I'll do blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, but that, that's a deacon and that's great. I, I think you'd be awesome at that. But we're talking about an office that God has defined. And I pleaded and I, and I begged and I tried to lovingly help encourage him. He didn't want to hear it. He kept his name on the ballot. And they needed a simple majority, 51%. He got like 54, 55, somewhere around in there. And he took it. At that point, guys, I knew we compromised biblically. And I just we couldn't stay. That was too big of an issue that, that it was a true biblical conflict. And we knew. Now, we knew God had already been preparing and trying to get us to go, and again, the hard-headed man that I am wasn't hearing and listening and you know, wrestling. Let's close this up. You know what the qualifications of a good pastor are? He's supposed to have the strength of an ox, the tenacity of a bulldog, the daring of a lion, the wisdom of an owl, the harmlessness of a dove, the industry of a beaver, the gentleness of a sheep. The versatility of a chameleon, the vision of an eagle, the hide of a rhinoceros, the perspective of a giraffe, the endurance of a camel, the bounce of a kangaroo, the stomach of a horse, the disposition of an angel, the loyalty of an apostle, the faithfulness of a prophet, the tenderness of a shepherd, the fervency of an evangelist, the devotion of a mother, and still... He could not please everybody. That's a pretty good picture. God's people are like sheep in that they need shepherds to watch them, to protect them, and to lead them. And that is my desire. That is my heart as your pastor, is to watch over you as one who must give an account and that I would be able to do so with joy because that's for your benefit that I would protect you with some of the uh, instructions from God's Word and that I would lead you in a way that's going to please Him. But you know, that makes it an easy target for Satan. Bummer of a birthmark, Hal! Guys, truth be told, that's how I feel some days as your pastor. Sometimes I feel the enemy has just a clear target on me and my family's back sometimes on our front. But I know stronger is he who's in me than he that's in the world.
and I stand firm on the promises of God. It's a pleasure to serve you. It's a pleasure to honor you. But I also recognize that a pastor's heart is not manifest in how good a man is at petting sheep. It is in how capable a man is at protecting them from wolves. And I've, I've said this to Dean many times. I, I don't know why God's given me seemingly this hat to wear, but I feel like that's often been what He's had me focus on, is protecting the sheep through doctrine. And I believe that the teaching of Scripture is vital to the integrity of the church and the longevity of the church. And so I don't apologize for standing firm in those areas, even when it's not popular. Conclusion, how do I apply today's message? Know the Scripture when it comes to the role and responsibility of your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Submit to your pastors. This is profitable to you. Love your pastors. They love you. Follow their example in the faith. I'm never going to ask you to go where I'm not going. My desire is to lead you by example. Support your pastors. And the way you can do that is support our family. Pray and be friendly. <laughs> it's amazing just being friendly to, to my family. Hey, that's a, that's a way you can help. <laughs> um, faithfully, you can, you can support us, support your pastors faithfully by your attendance and participation in ministry. Guys, you know what thrills my soul more than anything? When you come! I genuinely miss you when you're not here. And it's so funny because I get, man, I'm telling you, I know how Satan works, and he gets all in your head just because I simply come up and say, hey, I missed you last week. You know, we get all defensive about it, you know. <laughs> Dude, I just, I, I love you. I genuinely missed you. Is that so hard to believe that I actually like having your company? Financially, consider the work. Consider the work of the ministry and support it. So, work with your pastors, not against them. Don't bring an accusation unless it's a known sin. And then if it's a known sin, you better. But it needs to be confirmed by eyewitnesses. Basically, guys, follow the Scripture. Follow the Scripture. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Apart from it, we would not know. We'd be left to truly our own devices. Lord, thank you for the authority of Scripture because it's your truth. Lord, help our lives come in line with that. Start with me. Start with me as a shepherd, as a leader, uh, Lord, as a pastor, tasked with the responsibility uh, that you've given, that I'll be faithful to that, I'll be obedient to your call, that I'll be obedient in my walk, that my life will be such that it will reflect your grace. Lord, I recognize I've not arrived, I've got my flaws, I've got my personality quirks, I've got my own issues, but I am thankful your grace is sufficient. And I'm also very thankful that you've surrounded me by the love of a family, a church family, 
that fills my voids, that takes a spot in the, in the line, that steps into the gaps where I'm weak, that helps strengthen where there needs to be strength. And Lord, that's what you desire of your family. Not that we criticize and cut one another, that we tear down each other, but that we build each other up by working together for your glory, for your namesake. And we give you the praise this day in Jesus' name. Amen.